Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to On My Block Packers Podcast. I never noticed that the at on the at Mike Wall and Adam on Green look like the Avengers, but uh, it's because Amon's a damn superhero. Anyways, I'm your host, Mike Wall. Thanks for watching. If you're enjoying this, please subscribe, rate, and review on our, our Process to Perform channel on YouTube.com. You can hit me up, MikeWall68, on Twitter, Process to Perform on Instagram. You can find this podcast in audio form anywhere you get your podcast. As you can see, I'm, I'm solo today. Amon's out with some uh, some more e-sports, something or other. That's okay because we got last week of OTAs for the Green Bay Packers, and then we have a long break. Before that, <clears throat> let me just say thank you to our host, betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball information, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball NBA playoffs. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season, and we've got you covered for all your sports wager needs basketball, Major League Baseball, NHL, <laughs> hockey, right down to the UFC and boxing. Great UFC fight. Congratulations to Amanda Nunes on an incredible career, hanging it up after another win last, uh, last Saturday night. Bet Online is your fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games as you can play right from your home. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-B, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. It just dawned on me, and I don't know what this says about me or society, that they put pro basketball playoffs there. I believe the WNBA is in playoff mode right now, uh, potentially. Or they're in season mode. They're probably doing something. That is uh, probably going to get canceled for that. But so it is. Tough break. Mandatory minicamp starts tomorrow. It's a three-day deal. Back in the day when Amon and I played, this was a uh, the, the last minicamp. Usually ended June 17th, June 16th. Um, it was eight days. So it was a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Usually get the Friday off. They'd take us paintballing or something. It was awesome. Mike Sherman took us paintballing one year. Took us golfing one year with open bar. That was interesting as well. I think by open bar, I mean Flanagan and I stopped at the 7-Eleven down the street and made sure it was open bar for everybody. Anyhow... Then we went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday the next week. And I think we got to leave early on Thursday. Didn't have the last Friday. But then you're gone until training camp, which usually starts the end of July. So the question of the day is, after you get this three-day camp over, what do you do to fill that void? What should these guys be doing? If you're a Packers fan, if you're a player, let's say, and you've now got, gosh, what is this, um, at least a month off, maybe a little bit more than a month off, uh, five weeks off. <clears throat> This is always a good time, in my opinion, to recharge the batteries, get as much family time as you can, maybe take a short vacation. Um, if you're married, if you have kids, do something that they want to do because you know that seven days a week for the next six, seven months, it's going to be all about how to maximize your effectiveness at doing your specific job. That's going to take precedence over a lot of things that also happen in the family. So I think number one is recognizing that you have a lot of people that love you in your life and, and support you. And so you need to show that support back and do as much and help as much as you can. 
this is also an incredible time to take stock of where you're at based on OTAs and mini camps. See where you can get maybe some specific areas you can get better at technically. Maybe you need to get in better shape. Maybe you need to get a little bit stronger. Maybe you need to, you know, kind of reproportion your body from a body fat standpoint or a muscle mass standpoint. And you still have an entire training cycle to do that over the next couple of weeks. And what happens generally is you go hard, you're training, you go through the 4th of July. And then after the 4th of July, that kind of flipped the switch. And we used to start training. So we'd start doing training. Everything would be on time. So we would train over the course of, uh, we do training in, in the, in terms of like, uh, series. So we would go, you know, maybe heavy singles, maybe a set of five or six heavy singles, but we would take 20 seconds break in between each single. So let's say you had three sets of six singles. So you lift it up off the rack, press it, whatever you're doing, pull it, put it back on the rack, rest for 20. We're talking 85, 90%, 95% of your one rep max. And you're trying to do this because you want to get that max exertion and then take that small break, exactly what you do when you're playing football. So little details like that start helping you out. But really, it's about getting your mind right, getting ready for what's coming, getting ready to be the best version of yourself for this team so you can perform at the highest level or the, for whatever reason, underlying reason you do that for. Ultimately, it's to make the Green Bay Packers go as far as they can go for talking specifically about the Wisconsin football team. One of the friends of the show, A.J. Dillon, uh, made an interesting statement yesterday. Coming off of uh, two years ago, coming off a of, kind of a breakout. So, you know, he started at third string, I think, when he came in from Boston College as a rookie, then had a really good season. Him and Aaron Jones became kind of the, the one two punch, him being obviously the 250 pound, uh, you know, battering ram. And as the as it got colder, as the season went on, really, I think, did a good job of playing behind his pads. And then last year came, and the numbers were kind of similar. We thought we were going to see a little bit bump in production, maybe not the season that he wanted, certainly not a bad season. And I think he's got a really high ceiling as far as what he's able to do in this league on a yards per carry. He's not going to be a breakout runner. He's not going to get you a 50-yard run. He's not a home run hitter, but he could be easily a five, you know, 5.1, 5.2 yards per carry kind of guy over the course of the next couple of years while he's still young and healthy. So he said he was a little bit tight last year. And I think a lot of that has to do with the economics of the sport and understanding kind of where you sit on the ladder as far as what teams, when, when a team's going to ask you to contract renegotiation, when they're going to re-up you, what's that look like? What's the market for the running back look like? And so <clears throat> you think about the, you think about the mentality of just, let's just talk about generally, we can talk about the running back position or anybody, but generally the mentality of contract guys, guys in their contract year. Like, what should you be thinking about? Because it's easy for us to say, like, just worry about playing on the field and it'll take care of itself. And, like, I was part of multiple contracts years. That's true. That's what you have to do. But you're also kind of taking stock of what's going on. And, and we talk about AJ specifically. He loves Green Bay. He wants to be a Green Bay Packer for life. And I, I commend him for that because I think being part of one community for the entire length of your career is something that, looking back, I would have loved to do. And I think a lot of players would – if they have their choice, they would like to get drafted and, and retire with the same franchise. But you start you have to start asking these questions. Number one, are you appreciated? Do they appreciate the value that you bring to the team? Is the value that you bring to the team on par with your perception of it? Is it on par with their perception of it? And if the if, if the answer is yes, are they demonstrating that? We see the Saquon Barkley right now. 
are they demonstrating that through the contract that they're offering you or the communication that you're having? Are they going radio silence? And this might be a personal style of Goody or, or whoever the general manager is, but are they, are they reaching out and communicating? Hey, listen, you're our guy. We want you here. Here's, here's the sequence of events that have to happen before we, we re-up you. Here's what we need to see. Here's what we need to see from this other player. We have to get this other guy done. There's a, here's a priority list. Here, you know, but are they communicating and being transparent with you? Is that is in the case of running backs, because the running back market is a little bit wonky right now, as far as I think it's being greatly devalued uh, compared to some of the other positions because of kind of the, the shelf life of an elite level running back. Is the money going to be that different somewhere else that it's going to change your life? Not are you going to make an extra four or $500,000 a year over the course of three years? Um, are you going to make an, an extra million? Are you going to make an extra five million a year? Are you going to make an extra ten million over, over ten million ten million total over the course of the contract? Like, what if it if it's life changing money that has to come into the equation? Like, you can only love a place enough if they're not willing to pay you what somebody else is willing to pay you. Given that, you're probably going to get overpaid in the free agency market, and that's probably more than the home teams willing to pay. But how much more? Like how much difference, and then you go, how much difference does that make in my life? You know, knowing where I'm at now and what I want to do over the course of the next 80 years, what would I rather be? A remake pack for life or I want to go play for a bad franchise and make an extra $5 million. And then the last thing you got to look at, and honestly, and this just depends on, you know, how you think of yourself and how you think of your value for the team. Sorry for the camera here, guys. But what does that team look like? What does a team look like? And I think for the Packers, it, everything looks like it's going to be better in five years or three years or two years from now than it does right now. But what does that team look like? Is that, does this look like a team that's going in the direction that's going to help you be the best version of yourself and allow you to be put in positions to help this team win whatever your goal is as a team, as an organization? And not Honestly, not a lot of franchises are like that for specific players. There's a handful of guys in the league that are going to be successful wherever they go, and they usually play positions that aren't as dependent on other people. But, you know, Saquon Barkley can go to any team. He's going to be a good running back. Dalvin Cook just got released from the Vikings. Anywhere he goes, he's going to be good. But he can be better with good offensive line. He can be better with a team that likes to run the ball. He can be better with somebody with a competent, run, uh, a competent quarterback that's good at play action. Like, he's going to be – I don't know, a yard per carry better in a, in the right situation. A yard per carry is the difference between an average player, an all-pro, and a Hall of Famer. Like three, four, five right there. That's your game. So those are things you want to think about. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about before we go into some listener questions today was AG and I always do the old get-off-my-lawn old guys talking about how hard we practice and everything. Peyton Manning, one of the, the all-time greats, he said recently – the best teams that he was on had the best – excuse me. Let me, refer, let me start. He said, the best teams I was on, the best players practiced the hardest. He paid man and said, the best teams that I was on, the best players practiced the hardest. And think about that for a minute. Because right now, we don't spend an incredible amount of time talking about how important practice is. And because we've – peeled back the amount of practice time that we have, the, the amount of time that coaches have with their players, the amount of contact that we can have, 
how do you always maximize the time that you have with the intensity level that is required to become the best version of yourself? And as coaches in any sport, think about this. If you're in a situation where you can't be as intense as you need to be just from, you, you know, there's only so many hours in the day you can train without, you know, having a fall off. But you either need to, A, decrease the field size if you're playing a, a, a ball sport, or, you know, a confrontational ball sport. So basketball, soccer, football, lacrosse. You need to decrease the space or increase the amount of people, it give, you know, per square foot. So in, in a sport like football, that's why one-on-ones, nine-on-seven, all this kind of stuff is so valuable because you can build up without having to go full team. And you can do a lot of things, or you have to decrease the time, excuse me, the time that it takes to make decisions. So you increase decision-making or you add decisions to the time that you have. So you can do all of this stuff without having to like put your pads on, go full speed. There's a lot of things you can do that increases decision-making time. And then you can work on, you know, are you doing this thing, you know, doing these, uh, these actions that are coming off decisions with the proper technique. This is how good players get ready for football. And so when you're watching your team, if you're watching them practice, if you, if you follow guys in the media that are, that are watching their practice every day, how fast are you guys moving? Right? How much? If there is contact, is it is it violent? Are guys finishing plays? Is everybody running down to the end zone? Is every defensive player tapping off? Those are hallmarks of good teams, and a lot of that comes from the coaching staff. A lot of that comes from veteran leadership. And so, again, there's a lot of stuff going on in Green Bay right now. We have a veteran, you have a coaching staff that has statistically has a, a very good track record so far with their start. But chicken or egg thing is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it Matt Lafleur? We'll we'll see. But also with Aaron leaving and there's being a little bit of vacuum, Mercedes Lewis leaving, there being a vacuum of leadership in the room, or an opportunity for people to step up. What does that look like now? So with all that said, I really want to go and, and talk about. I was lucky enough to get some, I think, good listener questions here, and. Let me pull some of these up. The first one was, should the Packers be running more of a power game? I think the observation was, uh, let me just check this here, guys. I think the observation was, listen, people seem to figure out the outside zone game. I'm of the opinion that if you're a good offensive line, if you have the right personnel in place, you can run anything. It's just what you want to spend your time on. The good thing about a power game, and it is, I'll say this, it's a little bit surprising given that Mercedes Lewis is a guy that can block a defensive end one-on-one that you didn't use more of this because now you get a double team at the point of attack. No matter what what um, defense they run, if that single block you feel pretty good about with Mercedes Lewis on, on a defensive end or outside linebacker. So it really comes down to do you have somebody that can is really good at pulling, and then do you have backs that, that can kind of read that? Like Amon, I, I was a pretty good puller. Amon is extremely uh, proficient at reading how that plays out. We did it, man. We just did it. You rep it, rep it, rep it, rep it, and all of a sudden becomes somewhat unstoppable. Um, I think it's the one of the best ways to inflict your will on somebody in, on, on another team. Um, I think the outside zone is very effective. Um, it's it was more effective when you could cut backside the old Alex Gibbs stuff. But I think outside zone is very effective, and I think all the inserts and everything that we can do now is effective. I think that the 
better that we coach it, the more technical the players are, you're going to see the you know a lot more home runs. Um, the problem is we play a lot of two shell. We play you know we play a lot of uh, a deep uh, zone stuff and allow the run now. So it really becomes more of a of a question of how big a hole can you make so you can get more momentum going under that inevitable second level player. What does that look like? And for me, I would definitely run more kind of power stuff, power, counter gap, gap, uh, shut, uh, stutter, you know, open side counter. I would run as much of that as I can because one, it's a very effective way to get double teams at the point of attack and a, and a free runner that's 300 plus pounds if it's your guard or tackle. Uh, two, you can you can now add a fullback into the game or use that second tight end as a fullback and you're, you're, you're putting people in a position at a linebacker spot now that aren't used to seeing this in the NFL as much. And then maybe most importantly with Jordan Love talking about the Green Bay Packers, three, it is probably the best way to run play action. You know, pulling linemen, if you want to just talk about full cell stuff, running, pulling linemen, pulling the, and, and dragging that backside back over like you're running a counter gap play or a power play is the best way to run your your play action pass because that's, that's where you're going to get a full cell from those linebackers. You might get a safety to step up. You get eyes in the backfield a little bit longer. So from just from a timing and kind of, Quarterback friendly scheme. Yeah, you'd like to see a lot more of that, certainly. Outside zone's good for that as well. I just think anytime you pull a lineman in my studies, the more the more you pull a lineman, the more you're gonna get linebackers to buy in. You're gonna get that space, that gap between your level two and your level three guys. So there were a ton of questions on on Josh Myers. Um, you know. I guess the first one is who can perform better is, is Myers the answer and what does he need to get better at? Is it uh, or I think one of the, you know, one of the questions is does Jordan love not having the expanded playbook? Does that help Myers? I think the assumption was that it did. Um, I personally am not sure how much onus is put on the center in this new offense with Jordan love to identify defenses and make calls. We used to make all the calls. Brett could make the adjustments. So Flanagan, Martin, Frank Winters, they'd come up, identify the front. Here's who we're going to. And Brett can make an adjustment if he wanted. Um, did the same thing in Carolina. Did the same thing in Seattle. Lyman can make calls. As, I mean, across the offensive line, you make calls as well if you see something. There's a lot of communication going on, but you have to kind of earn that. And I think the Packers are on the way to doing that. But for Josh, you know, I think for a center, to be honest with you, some people say, well, they want to reduce the amount of stuff he has. I think the more the onus that he can take at the center position, calling out the defenses, calling out who they're going, you know, calling out the linebacker point, uh, seeing if they're rotating safeties, making those adjustments, communicating across the board. I think that builds confidence more than anything else. I think, I think being a passive uh, center where you just get down, you know, maybe you make a point and the quarterback does all the work. I think that takes away from the confidence of an off of an offensive lineman or a center in particular, because, you know, you see guys, they have a complete command of the offense and understand, like if you have a complete command of the offense, that also means you you have a complete command of like what the counter style of the defensive movement is. And so the more you can give, I think the more you can put on this plate, you know, you have to build it up over time, but the, the more you put on this plate, the more information that he's allowed to, you know, decisions that he's allowed to make pre-snap, I think the your better player you're going to get. So I, I, I would challenge that having Jordan Love maybe not having the expanded playbook, uh, maybe not making as many calls at the line of scrimmage. I would challenge – everything's better for Josh. The more he gets to put on his plate, the better off he is. 
I think that's going to provide ownership for him. I think they'd really, I think long-term that's good for him. The other question that keeps coming up, if Josh isn't the guy, who is the guy? Is it Zach Tom? Is it, uh, for me, you know, the, the, the obvious answer for me is actually Elgin Jenkins. I don't think you're going to move him from left guard now. But if you want to put anybody at center, you just put Elgin Jenkins at center. You have a dominant center. He would be, you know, one of the top athletic centers in the league at the at, at if he moves over from left guard. Now you can put as part of a kind of a longer plan, and this rolls into some other questions that were that were given. Now you can put Josh at guard. Where he doesn't maybe you know maybe he um, maybe he does a little bit better at that position. But I would put you know maybe you put Zach Tom there. You put Josh at right tackle. Zach Tom is building out his skill set with a, his left hand in the ground. And then he takes over Bakhtiari when inevitably that end comes to fruition, whether it's this year, next year, if they trade him, whatever. But you put yourself in a situation now where um, I don't think, you know, I'm just saying people say, oh, Zach, put Zach Tom in. He's such a good athlete. He's just not angry. He doesn't look like he's built to play center. Um, Josh Myers is, is, is a guy that can play the position. He proved it two years ago. He played it last year. He just didn't play at the level that we were expecting. He took, he had a regression, uh, regression year. That happens. That happened to me. You just, you double down, you get your stuff together. Hopefully he comes back and has a great year. If there's a situation where you got to make an adjustment and you find out that, you know, Yash or, 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 or Zach is playing, you know, if Yash is playing right tackle, the answer is easy. Zach's got to get inserted in the lineup. If that means moving Elgin over, then that's what you do. Given what we know right now, we'll see what happens in training camp with some of these other guys, Royce Newman and so on. If Zach Tom's playing right tackle, I think now you've got an interesting situation because the guy that's playing center next is probably not one of your top six or seven guys. Um, do you put Royce in at right guard? Do you move John Rennie Jr.? He could certainly play center if you if if need be. You know he's a smart. He, he's he, he can kind of get it cognitively, physically. He can do all the he can do all the things you want to do. But I don't know if he's if, if that's a position he'd feel comfortable at. Now you start getting a little bit. Got to put some puzzle pieces together. I think the cleanest thing would be, you know, you move Elgin to to center if it was going to be day one. Elgin to center, Zach Tom over. I again, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think it should happen. What makes a defense? <laughs> you know what. I'll just put it up here. This guy's asking me about the San Francisco 49ers. Larger question. He says, what makes the 49ers defense up front, you know, so good up front? Their guys don't grade out high on PFF, blah, 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 blah. Here's why. Because PFF has no contextual intelligence whatsoever. And what that means is they're just giving you information. And uh, based on the outcome of the play. So they don't know the nuances of the play. They don't know uh, if the quarterback is supposed to hold the ball where he was supposed to set up. Did he drift right to the left? They don't know if the series before the offensive coordinator said, for the offensive line coach, for example, said, on our double teams, we want to swing the gate open. And because the defensive tackle is playing a certain way. So now the defensive tackle penetrates and it's not really on that offensive lineman. Like we're just, we're doing things without really knowing what the backstory is. Right. And we're not looking at process. We're not really looking at technique. We're not telling you why something happened. We're only telling you that something happened. And so for everybody out there, and it's an easy reference, like, look, listen, if I want to know how many, uh, how many cover sixes I saw last Thursday's game, I'll, I'll go to PFF for sure. 
If I want to know how many snaps the safety played, I'll go to PFF for sure. If I want to know how many tackles he made. But if you want to ask, if you're asking me if if something's valuable, if we're going to base whether you know how somebody's playing based on that that grade, then I would just counter and say, if if your analysis of a player or a game doesn't give me any instruction on what they would do to be better other than make the play, then I don't think your analysis is very valid because that means you have no contextual awareness of what's actually happening. If I was a, if I was coaching a team, and the teams you know the team said, excuse me, the the results said this player uh, is grading out at seventy percent in his pass blocking grade, it doesn't tell me why. Why does that happen? Well, is it a stance issue? Does he have a hard time getting out of stance? Does he turn? If you look at our last block party, we did the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Well. Their tackles lose before they get out of their stances. Their first kick, they're done. Whether they block the guy or not is really irrelevant because they're doing it in a position to lose almost every single play. And then whether or not they're athletic enough to like recover from their poor initial footwork and their body position is kind of irrelevant because you just keep doing the same thing to yourself. So if you're not improving, the, if you're not giving me information on how to improve the situation, you're just saying, hey, he's losing 30% of the time. You're going to have to do better than that if you want to get buy-in from somebody like me. Bakhtiari has, we've talked about it. He's one of the top, I'd say probably three, when he's healthy, top three tackles in the National Football League right now, left tackles. Um, he's an amazing player. He's the best player on the field for the, the Green Bay Packers when when he is healthy. But there's a lot of talk, like Aaron Rodgers left. Um, they're in this weird situation. They don't really know how good they're going to be this year. He's a he's going to be a high cap guy next year. They're going to probably have to do something. I mean, listen, left tackles are, are going to make, you know, $25 million, really, really good ones, make $25 million-ish over the course of the next couple of seasons. Um, if he could stay healthy, uh, given his age, I mean, Trent Williams signed a monster deal when he was 33. I think back to is 32. So given that if he's healthy, he's probably going to be asking $20-some million a year. You have to make that work. It's worth it if for Jordan Love because you've got, you know, you're not going to buy anybody better than he is, and you don't have anybody on his team that's anywhere near how, as, as good as, as Dave Bakhtiari is. But if they wanted to trade him, like what do you get in return for somebody at that level? And I'm, and this is tough because on the one hand, the value that you are to your team is X. So for me, the value of Dave Bakhtiari to the Green Bay Packers is if he comes and says, I'm going to play three more years. I want $24 million a year. I'll take a $1 million haircut off the, off the top paid guy right now. If I'm the Packers, I – I'm certainly thinking about it. You know, I, I don't, I'm certainly thinking about it because there's nobody better than he is. He plays a premium position. It's a, it's, he, he does so much in the locker room. He does so much on the field. He's a, he's a force multiplier as far as the confidence that he adds to Jordan love, the tight end, the guard next to him, the center next to him, the calls he can make everything. His presence is valuable. His play is valuable. So there's compounding there. That's worth top dollar. But he's not a. You're not going to get a first round pick back for him, I don't think. I'm not good at this stuff. But if you say there's a guy who's been on the on the injury list for the last two seasons, when he plays, he plays at a high level, and the Packers are looking to offload him because he's got a high cap number. Like that narrative doesn't sound as positive to me as like 
um, this is one of the best players in franchise history. We need to, we need to resign and give him money because of, of the value as our team. So I just think he's more valuable here. I'm talking about dollar wise than he is from a draft pick perspective. And then let's say you're drafting, you're, you're, you're trading player for player for a guy like Bakhtiari. How many guys are out there that are in his situation? Last two years injured, 32 years old, old, but not too old in this new NFL and still plays at a ridiculously high level. Like how many guys are there that can say that there's just not that many guys. And like, it would obviously have to be a different position. Maybe on the other side of the ball, do you need another first round worthy guy on the other side of the ball right now? No, you need like coaches that can put the game plan together. That's going to make them better because they have seven first round picks on defense. What position can you get on offense that has as much value as left tackle? It's like quarterback, left tackle. Those are like the two most valuable things on offense. Sure, a, a really good receiver, a really good tight end, a really good blah, blah, blah. but really, who, where else are we looking? That like, what are you trading them for? So you're probably only trading them for draft picks. What if you get a third round and a fifth round for next season? Are you taking that, man? If you take that, like, I don't know what what would make me happy. It would have to be a first round draft pick and a third, maybe the year after. I mean, he, to me, he's that good. There's, there's that much value there. So if they don't get anything but that, it's like, I think you're out of your mind to even consider getting rid of somebody that valuable. Now, if you just decide that it's just not going to happen, he's not going to, he doesn't want to be here. Aaron left. He doesn't want to hear anymore. He's talked about rebuilding to the point where you're like, come on, man, stop talking about rebuilding. You know, he's like, well, listen, it's respectful to the best player in franchise history that I'm going to say rebuilding. Um, your next best guy is Elgin Jenkins. And he's not, he's better at what he does at guard than he's going to be at tackle. Like we've already kind of seen that happen. He's not going to be a Bakhtiari level player at tackle. He might not be a guard either, but he's made a couple of pro bowls now um, at guard. I, I don't know that he's, I don't know that I would say he's one of the best left guards in the game right now, but he, but he's certainly getting some recognition for being so. So at worst, you've got a pro bowl caliber player at guard. I don't know if he's going to say the same thing at tackle. I don't know if I move him for that reason. And then the last one we have, uh, The last one we have is, you know, with that said, with the Packers on defense, is it a is it a coaching thing? Is it a personnel thing? Is it an alignment thing? Are we just not playing to their strengths? I think it's a. I'm not around the team enough to see how they practice. I see, I think, I feel like you can get so much out of practice. I feel like there's so much information to be gathered about a team, a defense in particular, about how they go about their practices. How competitive are they? Not how much are they like talking, how much are they running? How much are they getting in good body position? How detailed are they pre snap? How detailed are they into contact? How good is their footwork? How hard are they doing individual drills? Are we warming up during practice or are we going practice full speed? Because Joe Barry gets a lot of flack. He's got a lot of flack from us. But the truth is, we miss tackles. Now, if I'm a player, like if I, I played offensive line, if I can't block, I need to go practice blocking. 
Now, if my coaches don't have time to go practice blocking during practice because they're getting the team ready for team offense or you know, whatever, we're picking up blitz protection, then I need to go do my stuff on my own. If I'm missing tackles or if I can't get off, okay, if I'm tackling people eight, nine yards down the field because I can't get off a guard's block or a center's block and I'm not working on that stuff by myself, I'm not like, as an ex-player, I'm not putting that on Joe Barry. I'm not putting that on Joe Barry. I'm putting that on a player. I'm putting that on leadership. I could put that on the head coach. I could put that on Barry to the extent that's like, hey, guys, we're set, we're putting you in, in positions to be successful. But if you're not good at some of this stuff, like we need, we're going to help you identify it, but you need to work on it. We don't have time, given, given our time constraint, we're setting up a situation for you to do this on your own because we don't have, literally don't have time to do it during a practice. So there's, there's some of that. But realistically, it's like, if, you're, if your value in the National Football League is your ability to execute, I don't know, blocking, tackling, getting off blocks, breaking on balls, catching ball, you know, whatever, whatever the position requirements of your, of, of your specific position is, if your well-being on this planet right now in terms of jobs is your ability to execute those kind of basic fundamentals of the sport and you're not good at them. If we're sitting around going, well, they should be more aggressive. Well, they, yeah, they don't tackle very well. If they tackle better, they'll be a better team. Well, they play off too much. Well, if they, if they demonstrated, maybe they played press man a little bit better. Maybe they play more press man. If they demonstrated, they communicate better. Right, because they're on the same page because they're watching film together or whatever it is. Like we saw early in the season with against Minnesota in particular, where guys are running free all over the, the board. If we're not communicating, yeah, like it like there is this thing where it's like, yeah, we hire coaches to coach these guys, but these guys are professional athletes, they're players. Like we still have to have some sort of expectation that we're gonna do everything we can as players to become the best versions of ourselves as well. So I don't want to just say. It's a personnel thing. It's because clearly you got seven first round picks on defense. You should be good. All of these coaches are NFL coaches, regardless of what you think of them. They're all NFL coaches. You should be good. It's just a question of how do you put it together? Do you got the right personalities in the room? Identifying what somebody's good at is a skill set for a coach. Um, it looked like they did it towards the end of the season. We'll see how it carries out. But all this stuff is is. There's a world out there somewhere, right, in the multiverse of Spider-Man Spider-Verse where Watson, the IBM Watson, and whatever Watson's counterpart is, ChatGTP, are playing, are, are playing offensive coordinator for Team A and defensive coordinator for Team B. And they are running the absolute perfect play for each situation. And when that happens, it comes down to what players on the field execute the best. What players execute the fundamental basics of the sport better than their counterparts? When you take away all the scheme and all the times that we win with scheme and all the times that we win with, you know, misdirection, and all, it comes down to, can you do your job better than the guy across from you? If the answer is yes, you're going to win a hell of a lot of games. There's been a ton of defensive coaches in particular, Pete Carroll comes to mind, that have stressed fundamentals and play speed over scheme and have had incredible careers because of it. 
That matters more than anything else. Are you putting in the time to be the best of your position at what you're required to do? Next week, we'll have off. We have two weeks to the 4th of July. We'll start cranking up some stuff before mini camps. Start talking about what should, what should we be expecting. I think the Packers have two practices. Um, I think they have two. This is another interesting thing. So Bill Belichick goes back years ago, and he, he figures out that he can get like game reps if he goes and visits another team during training camp because – if you're playing for the Green Bay Packers and you go play against the Miami Dolphins, the Kansas City Chiefs in, in preseason, and you go to practice, like I'm not losing to that guy. So we're going full speed. In other words, there's no conversation if we have a joint practice and they're like, hey, it's nine on seven. Let's just go thud. We're not going thud. Or, hey, we're going team. Like Maybe the quarterback still has the day off as far as he's not going to get hit. Everybody else in that field is going full damn speed because we are not putting bad tape against another person up. It's just not going to happen. There's no like brother-in-law stuff uh, when you're playing against another team. So now all of these guys have figured out, man, I can, how many, how many teams can I practice with? Cause all these preseason games are useless, right? Starters aren't even playing for most of them anymore. I think there's now there's three games. There's, they took away one. You're going to get, I don't know, 25 snaps total from your starting your starting offensive line quarterback for the whole preseason. So it's like if you get two of these inner squads, now you get two or three days of practice, and every single team period is ones-on-ones, twos-on-twos, threes-on-threes, Chiefs versus Packers, Dolphins versus Chiefs, Dolphins versus Packers, whatever it is, whatever it is. But now you're getting good on good all the time, and, dude, those guys are going hard. One-on-one offensive line, defensive line, pass rush, going hard. It should be anyways. Like Mike, it should always – it's not. Guys will take – somebody on your team will take the day off because they're tired on a Wednesday during training camp. It's hot. You're miserable outside. You've been going for two weeks. All of a sudden, another team shows up. Bro, you are not taking it easy. All of a sudden, it got real because you do not want that film hanging over your head for the next two weeks. So we'll talk about that and everything else. Aman will be back uh, when we get back. Until then, you can find me, MikeWall68, on Twitter, Process to Perform, and Instagram. Hope that information was good for you fans out there. Listen, love talking football. Uh, always hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions. I'll do my best to get back to you and answer them. And until next time, have a great weekend. Go Pack Go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.